Okay, welcome, David. Good morning, James. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You want to uh, start off telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, first, uh, thanks for inviting me here. I think these are a wonderful idea, and uh, I look forward to spending the time with you. Um, I'm a faculty member at Army Management Staff College. I'm a student of leadership and leadership research and how to measure leadership development. Uh, in fact, that's what my dissertation was in. I have received some recent feedback from listeners of the podcast mm -hmm. asking that we tell a little bit more about us and our background. So you are prior military, right? I think you were a Navy guy. I, I was a Navy guy All right. for 12 years. I was an aviator. I worked at the Navy Test Center. I was an aviator at VX1. And then I went into um, the master's program. That was I received my MBA from Wharton in decision processes and game theory. And then I was an aide to Admiral Sobrowski. Wow. Then you ended up getting a PhD in management from University, University of Nebraska, yes. Lincoln. You actually got to work with Bruce Avolio. I did work with Bruce Avolio, Fred Luthans, who is a literally the founder of organizational behavior research, uh, wrote the preeminent book on organizational behavior. Uh, Mary Olbean, who started leadership complexity theory. And Mary Marie Mitchell, who is a top researcher in deviance in the workplace. Deviance. Mm -hmm. That'd be an interesting topic maybe we could cover on a future podcast. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Quisenberry, for coming. Can I be honest with you? I'm a little bit nervous about this topic because today's topic is why leadership development programs fail. And last time I checked, you and I... We work for a leadership development That's program. That's right, yes. Okay, so just to kind of talk about where we're going to go with this, um, we're going to talk about why they fail, but also how they can be successful. Perfect. Okay, Look, let's talk about this. How long have leadership development programs been around? And when we say leadership development programs, I guess what I'm thinking is we, we send somebody somewhere to go get some training. Uh, they, we open their head, fill them with theories and concepts and anecdotes, and they come back to the workplace as a, as a better leader. There's usually a lot of money on, and that also the time invested from which they're away from the office. You're saying those aren't always successful. They're not. Um, is, is the question, when did they start? Or is the question... I did ask that question. Yeah, what, I guess, when did they become... Are they in vogue? There was some that started in the 70s, 80s, 60s, or have we been doing this since... <clears throat> not to be snarky, but every ever since I imagine one tribe in primitive, in the early days of primitive man... Since one clan or tribe saw another clan defeat the hairy mammoth or defeat the enemy, and they didn't, they went hungry or they didn't have the crops at the other tribe, they go, we need to change our leadership. Okay. You know, and they began to develop chiefs and chieftains and, uh, and, and look for leaders who could uh, help them be more productive in achieving their goals. So even hunter-gatherer tribes probably had some sort of structured Absolutely. leadership development. I had never it's, thought it's about that. It's a very human thing. Now, the, I did see a source that said that U.S. companies spend almost $14 billion annually. Annually. Um, and you're saying that those companies don't always get their return on investment. I would say most of them do not get their return on investment. It's, most uh, There's lots of reasons people invest money. The hope is that... Uh, they'll get a return on their investment. They see the value of good leadership, but there's lots of myths about uh, what makes a good leader, what makes a good leader in a particular company, and they're all pretty closely aligned with people's identity, mm -hmm. the company's identity, and what they want to be. Now, some of the top business schools have programs 
that are in the six digits. And, oh, easily, yes. And those are probably going to be the better ones to go to, right? Because you get what you pay for? Uh, you know, there are some wonderful programs and some wonderful people that uh, come out of those programs. Uh, some of the top leaders, CEOs of our country. Um, I'm not sure we can conclude that the reason they're top leaders is because they went to those schools. The, the typical program at a, at a top school, an executive education, leadership education, rolls in a lots of top speakers. People listen to those speakers, nod their head. Uh, but most evidence is that people rarely change the behaviors they, they came in with based on listening to a few speakers. Mm. It feels good, though. You know, you feel smart when you leave and, and you have a little certificate that says, I went to a top Ivy League school, you know, and listen to some good speakers. But most evidence says that those are not the most effective programs. Okay. Now, are there tried and true methods, um, specific styles, teaching philosophies or theories that make one leader development program more effective? Some of them are more effective. And, and, and maybe they're only effective on a certain group of people. There's a myth. We would like to believe that there is a recipe that we have an idea of what the perfect leader is. And if we just describe it to people, they can change to become that perfect leader. But that's probably as irrational as saying there's a perfect husband or a perfect wife or a perfect child. Uh, leadership is very much a individual by individual, team by team. And even if we imagine our, our closest relationships as we influence each other, uh, we do it differently. As, as we age, we want and need different things from our relationships, and, and our goals change. And uh, each of those changes requires a different type of leadership. Okay. Are there some, I guess, some concepts then that are integrated into effective programs that take a more individualistic approach? Absolutely. Uh, one of the key things uh, is to develop a context around your learning, to, to show up with goals. If you send your people to leadership training, they need to arrive with goals, things that are important, things that aren't working, things that uh, they could improve on. Uh, if, if they don't, it, they fall into this giant glump of attributes and competencies, and they have to figure out which one apply to them or don't apply to them. Uh, come with goals, contextualize your leadership development. What do you need right now with your most important relationships with your most important stakeholders? I would say also then implied is there's some sort of feedback mechanism or it's not just a completely passive experience. There's some sort of, I guess, active component in whether you're receiving feedback or building those skills. Does that happen in the course itself or is that set up to be tied to goals? I'm going to connect that to two things, James. Uh, one, uh, knowing better isn't necessarily doing better. And so as you mentioned, there needs to be some feedback. Uh, we like to believe that we're changing. I'm sitting in the classroom and nodding and agreeing with the models or the concepts or the values. But the question is, do they show up? And, and more importantly, do they show up uh, from the perspective of the person you're trying to influence? Okay. And so the key is, how can I transfer this learning? How can I uh, move it back to the workplace? Even if I answer all the questions right in class, am I changing a behavior? Uh, if, we, if we do not change our behavior... Uh, then we probably won't get any different results. And that's the ultimate goal is to get results. We are really good as humans at self-deception. And so even if we think we're changing behaviors, it's really easy to deceive ourselves. People like to tell us nice things. We remember nice things about ourselves. 
Uh, so measurement is the other side of this. How can I measure improvement on the things that are important to me and my organization, things that are important to my team? And so that goes back to goals. Ha- has my team uh, articulated goals? Have I articulated goals with my most important relationships, with my most important stakeholders? And then can I measure that after my leadership training? It seems, too, that one common theme amongst, I guess, some of the more effective leader development programs would be self-awareness or some sort of mechanism to generate self-awareness. Would, would you agree? I think that's uh, the fourth of the things. We've mentioned three already. The fourth is awareness, which really is about reflecting on my beliefs, my mental models, and which ones are serving me. They may have served me wonderfully. You know, which of them are s- still serving me? Which would those serve me in my current situation? It is really hard. Uh, I listen to a lot of students say things like, I'm just going to have to try harder to be a better listener. I'm going to have to try harder to make time for my people. A more successful approach is, what would I have to believe about my people and my workplace for listening and taking time to be easy? I, I would have to believe that what they have to say is valuable. I would, I would have to believe that they make an important contribution. How could I change those beliefs about the people I work with? You've mentioned the term men- mental models. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to go ahead and define that for us, I guess, in its application here in leader development? Well, when we, we all move through our, our work life, we have positive experiences, par- experiences that support our goals and some that don't. We've all left meetings and told ourselves that didn't go so well. We've left counseling or individual conversations and say that that can never happen again. Uh, that that was a failure. And you have to have some resource, some mental model to kind of problem solve around those types of things. You have to understand, okay, if I understand everyone's different, you know, what might that other person's perspective be? If I, if, I, if I have that mental model, oh, there are personalities. What was engaged there? Oh, there are values. And what are my value mental models? How could I have been more effective by applying uh, my insight to their values and my values? And you had mentioned then this concept of self-awareness was the fourth, I guess, fourth approach. And this came from the work from Dr. Jay Conger, mm-hmm. who studied um, business of leadership development. Mm-hmm. And so the, just to rehash in what those four were, so the first one was, overarching theory or philosophy, second, feedback, third, skill building, and then that fourth being a component of self-awareness. Most leadership programs fall into one of those categories. Uh, you mentioned the executive education programs. They do they, they specialize in overarching theories and, and concepts. If you go to the Center of Creative Leadership, they specialize in feedback. They have trained psychologists that come in, they watch you, observe you with people, and, and they tell you what's effective and ineffective, and then you get feedback from peers. Uh, the third one is skill building. Skill building is just practice doing things, practice listening, practice problem solving, practice uh, communicating if effectively, practice thinking, practice critical thinking. Uh, and you can do those in, in one or two hour or maybe even brown bag lunch type sessions. But this last one is reflection, and, and that's that can be real painful is self-awareness. You know, uh, we leadership is tightly connected to our identity, how we see ourselves and our values. And every time we even contemplate uh, changing our leadership style or how we operate, uh, we're questioning who we are. And that, that can be a very tough thing to do. Is one of those four approaches more effective than another? Uh, well, all of them 
you know, can, can, can measure some level of success. And I recommend incorporating all of those into your individual development plan. Uh, we uh, incorporate all of them into our classes, and we try to give students an opportunity to, to use and, and lean on all four of those. And, and I think uh, when, you, when people bring goals to the class, you know, they can look to all four of those for answers. Are there times, though, where each of those approaches might be in tension or contradict one another? Let's say uh, one of my goals is to become more creative, mm-hmm. but that requires a certain type of maybe a diverging approach. I, I know your thoughts on that because then I see some that are more focused on being structured and detail-oriented. Well, uh, when we conceptualize ourselves with, with personality, there are people who are very comfortable being divergent and, and thinking of other possibilities. And they can connect things and they're very creative. Often though, the, that takes time. And, and you know, you're, you're trying to apply time to problem solving. Mm-hmm. And every step of the Army seven step problem solving model requires divergent thought. Uh, likewise, every step requires convergent thought. You know, we start with what what are our goals? What could our goals be? That's divergent. Then we choose some goals. That's convergent. And then what's our problem? What's getting in our way? It could be this, it could be this, it could be this, divergent. And then we converge and choose one. Uh, how are we going to evaluate our answers? It could be this, it could be something else, and it's divergent. And so um, we have tools and we have strengths, and so do our teammates. And we leverage those, and, and sometimes they rub, and we have a little conflict. But that's, that's the skill, the higher skill, especially when you become, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 SES. You know, you're doing uh, that about really important things, and time is, is, is extremely limited. Would you say, though, that many of these programs focus then on a one-size-fits-all? So we were talking about the need then for a more individualistic approach or tailored approach when we look at individual goals being brought into this, but are most programs set up to accommodate that? Well, many are. There are economic realities to all parts of our life. You know, economics with money and resources and economics for time. And it's uh, a lot more economical to bring uh, a group of people in uh, together to, mm-hmm. to hear the same material and, and, and to practice things. But uh, they will not they do, they do not arrive with the same problems and, and they don't need the same answers. And so the, the skill, the art, is to be able to leverage, you know, the larger group learning with individual needs. All right, David, I know a lot of people who like uh, programs, the ones that we probably heard, heard about or there are books on, some, you know, the seven habits type, type courses. What, what are your thoughts on those into leading to concrete outcome? Well, those are wonderful courses. Uh, I caution people because uh, they are the kind of one-size-fits-all, and if you become this, then you'll be influential with lots of people. Uh, and it's really easy to sit in those classes and and deceive ourselves. You know, this knowing better is doing better. You know, uh, we have to take it a step further. You know, how does how do these uh, traits or attributes or characteristics show up in my relationships? Uh, to go back home and ask the people. My, my most important stakeholders, you know, do you see this in me? How, how do you see these types of things showing up in our relationships, our, our working relationship? And if they don't see it, you're probably not doing it. 
And, and maybe they'll say, I don't even care about those things. Okay. It's a good stepping off point, especially for reflection. Let's say we're going to send somebody to a leadership development course, mm-hmm. and we subscribe to this thought that we're going to be more effective if the person takes their own goals with them into this course. Is that really realistic, though, to I mean, ask people to come up with their own goals, um, especially if self-awareness may be lower in some cases than another? What are your thoughts? So how realistic is it for people to come up with the right goals before going into a leadership development program? Realistic is an interesting choice of word. Um, I, I struggle with that. You know, what do I need? I, I can I journal every day. I, I can have some insight about that. And, and so it's, it's difficult for a person. Uh, I think they need to, before they come to the school, meet with their supervisor. Talk to their spouse, talk to their children, talk to their customers, mm-hmm. their stakeholders, uh, get some insight. What, what would those people uh, value? If you came back different, what would they want more of? What would they want less of? Maybe, you know, if they're not open to you, you my, openness might be one of your goals, you know, and transparency in your relationships and, and the ability to have relationships where people can, can, can be frank with you. But that's the constant struggle. Even in my closest relationships, uh, when I'm, I have a pretty good grasp of those things, they change. People want different things. They need different things. And, and, they're, and they have their own level of awareness of, of what they want and need. Uh, as long as you're working on shared goals, you know, and you have some tolerance and understanding, you know, I think those, those goals are available to people. I'm also curious your thoughts then. Because I know this happens from a leader or supervisor's perspective. I've got an employee follower with was a lower performer, maybe lower self-awareness. How or is it even realistic to to help that person shape their goals or to send them off to leadership development training to, quote unquote, fix them? Fixing other people, I believe, is a lazy strategy. Uh, that's a personal opinion, and, and maybe I'm the only one. Um, what does it say about my leadership style when I'm ineffective with with one of my subordinates or one of my peers? Uh, leadership is about providing purpose, direction, and motivation. Uh, to be frank, the number one question when I consult with people is, how can I get my boss to be more self-aware? How can I get my subordinate to be more self-aware? When the answer is usually, how can I become more self-aware about how I'm influencing those people? Okay, so if we had a rule number one, then, for making a leadership development course more effective, it would be then having, like, setting a prerequisite of a focused set of personally beneficial goals. Yes. Okay. And that I've had input from from my peers and, and my relationships, not just me sitting down, uh, but people have contributed to my goals. Do you have any other rules? And so we've got that one, the goal setting. What other rules would you apply to making sure? In that- those conversations around goals, you know, ask explicitly, you know, how do you want my behavior to change? What what do you want me to, to do to, to uh, increase or decrease? Because those will become your measurements. You know, you can go to the school and learn a lot of things, but unless those show up back home and have a plan for applying those things back home and measuring those things when you come back home. And the one other thing, plan on changing how you think. The only, maybe, maybe this is my belief, but I strongly believe if you really want to change how you influence other people, you have to change what you value and how you think. Uh, there's, there's studies where 
people are going to die unless they change their diet and their health habits. The people who work fail. The people who change the way they think and value succeed. And so what what is what is important to you and how might you think different to get to those goals? In one of our earlier conversations, you had mentioned this concept of coupling and decoupling. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure. That, that's just kind of a fancy word for uh, coupling your goals uh, that you have in class and then decoupling back in the workplace. We've already talked about that. Is Have, have a plan to apply uh, what you've learned in class for, for it to be different. So what I hear then is having the opportunity to apply these new skills from the training, whether it's projects, back to the workplace. Um, so we can take something from the conceptual phase into, to use an Army word, operationalize it. Um, Absolutely. Is that realistic, do you think, though? It really, especially in our setting? Well, it's tough to have special projects and, and those types of things. Uh, and, and we're kind of tough on ourselves. You know, if we crystallize, you know, how we influence people, it really happens in small bits and in conversations and relationships and in passings. And so I think if we can not look for large movements but small movements and take looking for opportunities and, and take opportunities to, to influence people then then those things will show up i think it's realistic do you have a strategy or something that you would recommend to help attendance of these courses go back to the organization and have the ability the opportunity to apply new sure. skills sure i've got a few ideas one leaders need to come leaders need to know what happens in these courses sit down with uh, the prospective student, their subordinate, whoever's coming, and and talk about goals and what they're trying to do and, and this way you're going to measure it when they get back home. And if you know what's in the course, if you've taken it yourself, then you can, in a much more accurate way, uh, make those plans. Uh, reward it. Connect it to their career. Connect it to their other most important relationships. And then uh, set an example. You know, if you journal, you know, let people that you work with journal. If you reflect, and, and journaling is not the only way to reflect, you know, incorporate ways to reflect. Uh, ha, uh, the Army is one of the best organizations in AARs. Be an example. Uh, be contrite with your mistakes and, and share with them uh, your struggles. It's easier for people to share and be open when they see their leader share and be open. I had heard you mention once, too, that it is possible to have too much reflection, that it could mm-hmm. be. Could you elaborate on that, too? Because I'm curious to hear uh, your, your thoughts on that. Well, it can be paralyzing. And the there's a lot of philosophers and writers, that, and there's a whole field in psychology now, about how self-deception serves us and, and how it helps us regulate our resilience. And it shouldn't be the end of itself. Okay. Reflection is a stepping off point to help us rethink, reconceptualize uh, what we want out of life, what we're getting out of life, you know, and how we treat other people. Would you see any parallels to a, I guess, comparing a leadership development program to, let's say, uh, having a fitness trainer at a gym help me get in shape? Are there certain mindsets, certain habits? Am I going to feel some pain? Am I going to feel the burn? I can speak personally that uh, some of my biggest steps forward required my greatest amount of humbleness and it was painful at times and and embarrassment is a wonderful teacher and and those those moments are tough 
uh, and again, uh, we are highly skilled at self-deception. Uh, we like to blame our ineffectiveness on other people's self-awareness or other people's behaviors. And when we begin to see how we are contributing to what we get in, in the patterns, the repeated patterns of our relationships, then uh, that, that's not always a, a nice experience. But the reward is usually, you know, the next step up. And really the the overarching theme of this is return on investment. How mm-hmm. do we you look at that? Well, how do you measure that? How do you know? At the end of the day, how do we know what our return is? In Army schools, you know, we spend a considerable amount of money. And there's, you know, if you just apply money to return on investment, there's calculations. But, you know, the, the listeners to, of this, you know, probably aren't interested in, you know, how much money the Army's spending on them. But, but the evidence is that there is a return on investment. And some of these, especially if you're changing the way you think, you get to keep that your whole life. Even if you leave the Army, you know, we're, we're returning people uh, to be citizens of the United States that value people, that respect people, that care for people. And um, that's a wonderful return. Do you, do you have any recommendations to help organizations better measure results? Sure. Um, one, not try to be everything. Who, who are we? You know, articulate that. How, how are we approaching our mission? You know, everybody in the organization should be able to articulate the mission, how they contribute to that mission, and what good looks like. Uh, from that, uh, it's, it's a stepping off point to contribute more, to get rid of things that aren't productive, that aren't about what you do, and, uh, and to improve yourself. Now, the Army has doctrine focused on leader development. It's FM 622. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that and how it's categorized and how one may use FM 622 as a, as a tool for their own? It's a wonderful document. At first glance, it looks like one of those 21 irrefutable traits of a leader. You know, we have our own leadership requirements model. They have attributes and competencies. But it very explicitly says that, you know, each leader is different. Each follower is different. There is uh, not a, a subtle expectation Leaders are supposed to have a personal relationship, you know, with the people they work with and understand them and understand what's important to them. Our doctrine about mission command, you know, developing trusting relationships. If you've been to, uh, and we all go to suicide prevention training, we all go to SHARP training, you know, there is an expectation that you have a relationship with the people you work with to have a personal conversation with them. Our doctrine supports that all of the competencies in the leadership requirements model have a, a giant matrix. This is this is what they look like. You know, this is what good looks like. This is how to do more of it. This is how to talk to people, and, and they're, they're listed out. And and if uh, if uh, leaders and subordinates uh, or, or peers can sit down and kind of walk through those, our doctrine shows us. You know how to set goals and how to improve, you know, our relationships. Okay. So David, if we could just wrap up then what we've said so far, then just to to kind of package it in a nutshell. So first we're going to look for diverse and challenging leadership development programs. So that include those four things, um, the theory and mental models, skill practice, peer feedback, and self-awareness. Yes. Okay. And then what would you recommend from that point? Well, to, to summarize and go over the, the, the four things I talked about that were weaknesses in most programs, 
you know, we can kind of solve some of these ourselves. Uh, even if the program doesn't ask us to come with goals, we can just come with goals. You know, we can sit down with people and say, you know, how can I best improve myself? What, what, what are my most pressing issues? What, what are things I can work on? Ask everyone. Ask your spouse. Ask your children. Ask your peers. Ask your boss. Uh, arrive with things to work on. Contextualize the work. Don't just listen to the class. Uh, decouple. Uh, take time to use these courses to reflect, to sit down, uh, get away from work, work on, your, on yourself, and have a plan to recouple when you get back. Apply. Knowing better is not doing better, my mom used to say. And so have a plan uh, to do better when you get back. Three, improvement comes with changing your thinking, changing your beliefs, reassessing you know, your approaches. If you continue to do things you think the same way you used to think, you'll probably continue to do the same things. So reflection, e- even painful reflection, is, is a key to improving your leadership. And finally, measure your results. You know, that's connected to those goals to begin with, but actually measure, inform your choices with measurement. I appreciate you coming, David. What's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting us. And we welcome your feedback. Please write us at usarmy.lovenworth.tradoc.mbx.amsc-podcast at mail.mail, or you can just write us at amscpodcast at gmail.com.